Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode contains stories that include homophobia, biphobia, bereavement, and xenophobia. This is Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. We are a group of people living in London. We're gay or queer, and we're mostly men. And some non-binary people who were raised as men. We're all either migrants to the UK and are racialized as being from an ethnic minority. Ill. That's just a crappier way of saying global majority. We all have different experiences and perspectives on the world. Some of us are racialized as black or brown. Some as white. Many of us have experienced racism and xenophobia. Some Some of of us us are are gay and and some some queer. Some of us moved to the UK by ourselves. And some are from an ancestral line that includes migrants. We We all, all, every single one of us, knows what it's like to be seen as other. That is what brings us together. We're part of a community project run by The Love Tank. A not-for-profit community interest company that promotes health and well-being of underserved communities through education, capacity building and research. We wanted to make this podcast to tell our stories of crossing borders. Borders of nation-states, of gender and sexuality. As a collective. We don't have a boss or a Beyonce. So, every episode of Queer Roots and Roots has a different host and a different set of voices from our group. Our promise to you is that our podcast is gorgeous, fierce, super gay and revolutionary. All right, let's go. Three, two, one. I'm Dale. My pronouns are he, him. I'm hosting this episode and I want to talk about community. This is our fourth episode of Queer Roots and Roots and four is my favorite number. What does community mean to me? Community is my circle, the collective of people I operate around most often, people who make me feel safe, loved, and that's reciprocated. It's a part of my life that keeps me going outside of work commitments and having to remember to breathe and eat food. Growing up, my community wasn't great. I had a lovely group of friends at school, but home things were much different. My relationship with my mum was difficult. So because of that and other reasons, I stopped living with her when I was 11 and went to live with my grandma. My grandma was the kind of woman who would do big shopping and carry all the bags home in her hands by herself. She was a loving and caring woman. She cooked all the time, was funny and laughed and joked, loved gardening, loved cleaning the house, and was Jamaican to her roots. She was from Jamaica and from a generation that just got on with things. 
We had a shared dream of me going to university and she was obsessed with buying me a suit for my graduation. But she was elderly. She was in her 80s. And less than a year into me living with her, she had a stroke. After that, she needed a cane to walk and she began to suffer from dementia. I was a carer for years, but eventually it was just too much. We got separated. She went to live in a care home and I had to go back to living with my mum. But my mum kicked me out and at 17, I was homeless. For my episode of Queer Roots and Roots, I've picked some stories that explore the dark and the light, the loneliness that anyone can find themselves feeling, and the joy of community, friendship, and solidarity. Are you ready? Because in this episode, we're going to go through it. There's a story that Rad tells, of being all alone, of not being supported, of being treated like shit. And it's such a lonely feeling. So I wanted Rad to tell his story. Myself and my flatmate, which was also queer, we were going back home from a um, a student union bar party. And bear in mind, this isn't like central London. This is this is Hampstead we're talking about. This is a very quiet, very nice, very posh area. And it wasn't even that late. It would have been like 1am. And we were just walking home, Finchley Road, um, and um, we would look very gay. <laughs> we were dressed up like very, very queer. Um, and this man just um, shouted something at us, which I can't even remember what, but he said something that I think was quite homophobic to my my friend, um, who was a woman. Um, and I think she said something back, and I, I don't think she said anything mean. I think it was just a case of her being like, what did you say? And he literally just punched her in the face and she just fell right on the floor and he just ran away. And we were just both there. I was basically holding her in my hands, just unconscious. And I'm just like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? This is like in the middle of the night, but in front of a bank. So you'd think there's a lot of cameras around. I immediately called the ambulance. I called the police. Um, they arrived within like an hour and the ambulance people were very helpful. Now, when it comes to police, there was not really much that they were willing to do or they just were kind of like, well, this is, you know, this is not a very like, big crime. We don't have any witnesses. There's nobody else has reported anything like that in the area. So we were like, well, this is exactly what happened. This is exactly the time it happened because I called minutes after it happened. Uh, there's a bank outside. There's got to be cameras. And they just got back to us, I think, a week later being like, well, we didn't find anything. So we're going to close this case now. Um and I was, I think for me, it wasn't even that, that traumatic. It just changed my attitude towards this country. And I think I didn't think of it as the safe haven as I always have. That's such a shame that that happened to Rad. And I really thank him for sharing that with us. He was new to London when that happened. Just a student. Moved to London from Poland, slowly making friends and feeling rejected by his adoptive culture. This is why we need our people. I know what it's like to hurt, to feel rejected, to feel cast aside like that. When my grandma was in the care home, I lived in a youth hostel. I was the chair of a youth parliament and I started doing campaigns on youth homelessness and mental health. 
I made it to university and I guess I was starting to get to know my sexuality and really make sense of being bisexual. I came out to my mum, but not by choice. And she said she wished I was dead. Words like that, trust me, they don't really ever leave you. I remember visiting my grandma, but she couldn't recognise me anymore. She always looked at me as her son, and I saw her as my mum. I didn't know how to process that she no longer recognised me. I look back now, and I know I was grieving. I was losing my grandma, the only community I ever had. And I was searching for a new community. I was studying social criminology at the University of East London. Going into my third year, I had to start working on my dissertation. I decided I wanted to study the experiences of black queer men in London. What's the difference between our sexual orientation, our feelings, and our stated sexuality? What influences how we express ourselves, such as religion, cultural background, location, I looked for black queer men to interview, and one of the ones I found was a guy called Phil. You might know him. He'd written an article online about his experiences that were similar to mine. I just had to meet him. I interviewed him in his workplace. He was working in sexual health campaigns, reaching out to black queer men. And he introduced me to Mark Thompson, who set up the love tank. I'd met some black queer men at just the time I needed a new community. My name is Sakub. I am 33 years old. And uh, when I was eight, my collarbone popped out. I didn't realise for a very long time. My name is Amr. I'm... 28 and my pronouns are they them and a fun fact about me is that when I was 10 years old I got called into school to apologize for making a white boy feel uncomfortable about imperialism. There are other members of our group and they kind of come as a pair. There's a lot more to this story because they make a little community together. I want to listen to how they've done this. Part of me thinks that there is an elitism to knowing your culture or being able to have got to the stage where you're familiar with your culture. Um, my experience of British Asianness or Scottish Asianness is a fractured one. Um, there's not an easy familiarity with the culture that- yet for, for a number of reasons. Go on, what are you going to say? I guess given all of that, going to somewhere like Green Street was quite significant, I think, for both of us, maybe in different ways. I mean, how would you how would you explain Green Street to for the Gore out there? There's different concentrations of different communities from different parts of the subcontinent across London, and Green Street is one of those concentrations in East London. Yeah. Also, loads of brown people and cheap jewelry shops. <laughs> oh, you wanted the cute stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you ask me to come with you to Green Street? We went to Green Street for my birthday. Um, It was on my actual birthday. We went shopping for some jewellery for my outfit. We went together because you're my friend. This is true. And uh, we do frivolity quite well together. 
I think we're really good at frivolity. I think we've like, nailed it. So Green Street and me buying jewelry and having like an easy fun time is what I needed. And you were a part of that. I'd never been to Green Street before. And I think what I loved about it was the anonymity. So like no one who was there would recognize me from like my local Sikh or Punjabi community that I grew up in. Um, I could be like as explicitly faggot as I wanted to be and also be thisy and also be in that space that like, wasn't a white space, you know, where there were references that I got and jokes we could make. And whatever reactions we were going to get, it was going to be like slightly contained um, and slightly protected from that community. Um, and I found it really liberating to be able to play with that for the first time. I think I'd been to Green Street once before at some point with my mum, actually, one Christmas for food because she came to London to spend Christmas with me and everything's closed obviously apart from Green Street yeah the DC areas and then um, we met a couple of friends and we had some food and I couldn't eat that much because everything had nuts in it um, and I went full uncle and got the the bill completely reduced so dinner for four people was like 15 quid <laughs> that's the that's British Asian culture <laughs> <laughs> I was really proud of it. Um, but I think um, I don't I don't have fear of going to places like that because I don't know anybody. I don't really have a fear of going there because I didn't grow up here and they're not from my immediate community or extended family and I won't see people that I know. But one of the barriers to me going to places like that is having somebody to enjoy it with. Ultimately, I would feel a little bit like an outsider going into that space and vaguely connecting with the Dabatta. I think there's something really important there about like our experiences of community and not just about going into a space where there are brown people like so much of why Green Street mattered to me and was important to me was like experiencing community there was like going there with like you and with um, our other friends and experiencing it like as a group of like queer South Asians rather than just kind of being in a street where there were brown people like community is about more than just demographic right yeah the favorite thing about that day is the the frivolity and how it was accepted immediately by the people in the shops so the aunties behind the counters or the people who told me my size in a jacket which i thought was kind of rude because they said you needed a bigger size and i said no i was well, i was wearing a puffy jacket okay <laughs> <laughs> I was You've seen how big my jacket okay, is. Okay, like it was a big jacket. <laughs> I was so upset. We couldn't afford anything in that shop anyway. I could. Ah, <laughs> uh, It's before I paid my taxes. My favourite moment yeah, go was on. when we were looking at that fucking peacock like brocade and the pearls and the headpiece and the auntie said, what did she say? She said, she was like we get a lot of your sort in here for their photo shoots and like we knew exactly what she meant by like your sort and i love that because she's obviously clocked us um and it wasn't new to her either and i felt a sense of connectedness that it wasn't necessarily a surprise to her she was aware of the existence of queer people and you know queer south asians and it's fine as long as she made a sale yeah i didn't get that from that comment i kind of just i often just think they're maybe they're referring to like us not being from the area like only with you there do i recognize it as some acknowledgement of there are queers in the house 
I also don't know if that person would have said something like that if it was just me by myself. We were cackling. We were fully shrieking. Like, we were completely making, like, a campy spectacle of it. And I loved it. But also, you've got that, like, you've got that, that, like, street smart and that attitude, like, that I don't have when I'm speaking in English, but I do have when I'm speaking in Punjabi. And so I feel like we struck, like, a really nice balance. So we went in with that, with that kind of, like, we weren't quiet. We weren't quiet at all. And it felt amazing to be able to be loud. And demanding wanting mm-hmm. to see everything from the top shelf mm-hmm. um but not that one because it's too expensive and not that one because it's got a fabric string fastening i don't want that and not that one because i don't like the shade of that gold no a different one please mm-hmm. and while i think uh making a sale is one of the main reasons of engagement i also think there's like people chose to go beyond that limit because they really enjoyed us having in that space so where they were egging us on to look at more stuff that we hadn't looked at before or like an auntie trying to get a sense of my aesthetic and then bringing out more stuff because I guess she wants me to feel something. Maybe like language is a bit limited here, but it feels like a like an unspoken acceptance. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Are you going to say the wig thing? Yeah, you say the wig thing. No, you're better at it. Go on. Um, I think I really love the... Another favorite moment was when the auntie was trying to convince you to buy this headpiece and she's trying to convince you to buy it. And you were like, I look at her and I say, I don't have any hair. (laughs) That needs hair, doesn't it? And she said, what did she say? Uh, I think she said something like, it's okay. You can get a wig. Lots Lots of my friends do it. All the girls be getting wigs. I think I just said thank you for your support. <laughs> and there was that. No, no, there was definitely a back and forth. She was like really insistent. You really could just get a wig. Just, it's so normal for me to get a wig. Yeah. And she thought it would be fine. God bless her. She is. That is what I mean by allyship. You know. Yeah. Get that woman at Pride in London. <laughs> <laughs> With wigs for everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wigs for everyone. I mean, okay. I guess like. <laughs> Green Street was really important for me because I'd never been shopping for femme Indian clothing or jewellery before. I'd never felt safe enough. I'd never felt brave enough. I'd never felt strong enough. And, you know, like, I get, like, abuse and stuff, like, on the street, like, all the time for dressing femme. But when it comes from our people, there's something about it that cuts deeper. So I never felt strong enough in myself or by myself to go into these spaces and navigate them. Um... But I could do that when I went with you. And I think that's why, that's what I mean when I say that the real experience of community was the feeling that we had each other's backs, that we understood each other, and that other people there were relating to us kind of as like a crew, you know? Which we didn't have either of us when we met at Pride. There's something here that I want to try to articulate that I don't think I've done before in such a conscious way. Like, while it's fun to talk about frivolity or, like, practicing culture, I suppose. When I look back at every other opportunity there's been to practice culture and do culture, it's been shut down immediately in, like, sometimes aggressive ways and sometimes in, like, quite innocuous ways. Where it doesn't feel that important for us to get excited about earrings and get excited for each other to have earrings or try things on. Um, that feels quite maybe superficial or silly 
or light. But I think that's the point, that lightness is stuff that we've never, I, sorry, have never had before because the aunties would usually stop me from looking at stuff that I wasn't supposed to be looking at. Or when I reached a certain age, I stopped being able to access the Mendy's. Yeah, I like shiny things and nice fabrics and that's part of how I want to do culture. I know exactly what you mean. Like, one memory that always stands out to me now is I remember, like, I remember my mum being out of the house and me being maybe, like, seven years old and kind of sneaking into the cupboard and getting her dubatta, her, like, veil and kind of dancing around like a Bollywood heroine, but knowing enough at that age to kind of carefully fold it and put it back and never mention it to anyone. And so that's a kind of... We've been calling it frivolity, but like what it also is, is gender expression through a different cultural language that we've been shut out from. And like it, you know, it was frivolous, it was joyful, it was playful what we were doing, but that play is itself like gender expression that we haven't had access to. Um, and having access to it felt so genuinely incredible. Like it just felt completely, it felt like a whole world it felt like a whole way of seeing my culture as this backwards thing or this this quite staid or kind of like calcified thing that, that hasn't moved forward. Part of that kind of ev- evaporated because I was like, but I, but I can just play with this or like we can just play with this. And suddenly it felt like all of that that was kind of shut away and only for... The women or only for you know other people was suddenly something that was also for me and so yeah maybe frivolity isn't quite the right word for it because like the reason that we haven't been able to play around with it in that way is because the cost of it is not light is not frivolous the cost of it is being ostracized in the community it can be violence you know whether it's here or like back in the bend like there's the cost of it is very very real just to have that lightness and so it took a lot of strength and it meant so much for us to then be able to experience it right hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You and I talk about the word community frequently. But what I really loved about our experience on Green Street is that it felt like we were doing the practice of community in a really beautiful way. The community I experience with you and some other people that we love is and can be as simple as me wanting to get some earrings but not being sure if it was worth ten ninety nine, and uh, you just buying it for me without me knowing. What's the word? Like on... Sugar daddy? Uh, <coughs> there is nothing sugar or daddy about you, sir. Huh. Huh. <laughs> What's the word for like nothing holding you back? Like liberated. Like you weren't even you weren't even it's not like either of us like rich, right? You weren't even worried about spending twenty five pounds on that necklace for me because it was my birthday. Mm. And it's 
we didn't hesitate there was no hesitation about embracing that joy jab pyar hunda koi hisab kitab nahi hunda where there's love there's no bookkeeping there's no accounting oh it's just love oh that's a really nice saying i don't know it i say all the time you don't listen to me <laughs> it's true those two make such a lovely pair don't they i found their conversation really cute insightful and inspiring i know what they mean about finding friendship creating community with a person who you click with it's your found family i remember thinking that when i was interviewing black queer men as part of my dissertation project i felt good about myself uni was challenging but i enjoyed the learning and i felt that parts of who i was was starting to fall into place The project was really helping me to process my sexuality and who I was. I hadn't been able to visit my grandma since I realized she didn't recognize me. It was too hard to. I remember doing the final interview for my dissertation and going to sleep that night, literally putting my head on the pillow and thinking that once I finish this dissertation, I'm going to go and see her again. But I woke up the next morning to a call from my sister. My grandma had passed. I couldn't finish my dissertation. I couldn't finish university. I just had to take a break. Going to university had all been tied up in my feelings towards my grandma. It was our dream, and I was so conflicted about leaving, but I just knew I had to go. I wanted to achieve our dream, but I just couldn't. To me, my grandma was the sun, and I was just a planet orbiting her. She was my whole world, my whole life. And with my son gone. I was just floating off. I didn't know who I was. It was a dark time, and I tried to redefine myself. I really had to. I went back to my community to fill in to mark. The love tank hired me to run a project called Black Health Matters, and since I was used to being an activist, joining this organization just made sense for me. It gave me a job, but it was much more than a job. It was community. Whilst I worked there. I returned to university to finish my dissertation and my degree. Mark and my tutor at uni helped me to fit around my work. I remember rereading my initial dissertation proposal and thinking, "Fucking hell, this guy's going through a lot." I literally put everything on that page. It was so personal. It didn't feel academic at all, and I was clearly just dumping all of my trauma onto that page to try and make sense of myself. And I guess I was. But I graduated though. I had the big ceremony and the gown and the hat. My sisters came to the ceremony and so did Phil and Mark who by now I considered my big brother and my uncle. Phil and Mark were a big part of getting me to where I am now. It felt symbolic. My destination was how I met them. So, having them there as part of my ending was important. They were the transition. Later my sisters and I went to my grandma's grave. I'd hired the gown and the hat for some extra time so I could wear it there. And we took some pictures with me next to her. Finally, I'd achieved our dream, and though she couldn't be there with me in person, she was there with me in spirit, and that's what was important. So, community, friendship, solidarity. I'd graduated, I had a job, and I'd started making more and more black queer friends. The power of this can't be underestimated. It was healing and it was comforting. and i can't hear enough about people finding their communities
Two people who have a similar story are friends Chase and Tokyo. I asked them to record a conversation about this on a day that is very special to their friendship. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. One we, year on. One year on, isn't Can it? Can you imagine? We met each other a year ago today. I'm Tokyo. I am 31, going on 32 very shortly. I am from South Africa. And something interesting about me, um, I'm a chronic overthinker <laughs> and overdoer. Um, yeah, and I talk a lot. Well, I'm Chase. I'm 27. I'm from London. My pronouns are he, him. Interesting fact about me is I blagged my way onto the main stage at Bestival with Diplo and Major Laser in 2014 and got to party with them. I felt like a rock star for 20 minutes. It was nice. So you're from South Africa initially and you've lived in London for how long now? It's coming up to, it'll be two years in September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And why did you move to London? I feel like there were a number of reasons. A part of me felt like I was running away, but not running away. It was a decision. It it was just a lot. I think COVID made me realize that I can just do whatever I want with my life. And like, nothing is actually that deep. If I want to move somewhere, I can move somewhere. If I want to move back, I can move back. And um, I also just... At the time, I mean, London is a lot. I mean, when you're a visitor, you think this place is amazing. But now that I live here, I'm like, mm, I don't know about the lack of sunshine. But it was primarily that if I feel, if I'm like really into my feelings, I'm just like, I think a part of me felt like I was just making a decision to like run away a little bit from what? I'm not sure, but I just felt like I needed something new. I needed a, a change of environment. And I feel like, at the time, London felt like a place where I could be myself. That was my reason. Have you found that since you since you moved here? Somewhat, somewhat. London is a lonely place as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I thought I was going to move here and it was going to be so easy to make friends, make connections. I actually don't think I valued how much um, of an important thing community is before I moved here. And I think I took it for granted that you can just move somewhere and then get to know people and everything is going to be fine. And I think it's difficult in most places, but I think it's ex especially difficult in London. What, what do you think it is about London that makes it more challenging? I think it's just such a big city and also the fact that like life is so hard. Yeah, people just don't have the time like to build those kind of connections. I think just having to survive living here on its own is like really challenging i don't think people have a lot left after just having doing what they need to do and i think also people are already in their circles of friends and especially like as a queer person it's especially difficult because the cultural issues around making friends like it's a little bit more complex and i think i took that for granted is there anything like distinctive about the queer scene in London that you appreciate or don't appreciate? Let's start with things I don't appreciate because I'm, <laughs> I'm quite a spicy person. Um, what I don't appreciate, I think there's like a level of like superficiality, if I can call it that. Like there's, it's more of like, are you worth knowing? Are you someone that I'm interested in knowing rather than like, do we get along? I get that kind of a vibe. Maybe I'm reading into it. Um, but 
I got a lot of that. Um, that's the vibe I was getting. Like, so I'm not saying every single person I've met is like mm. that, but that's the general vibe. Anything that you appreciate about the, the oh, what I appreciate in London? There are so many hidden gems of people in London because, like, I think as much as I said what I said just now, mm. when you find amazing people, really amazing, and you're like, oh my god, surely like this person where have they been all my entire life? Like, it's just really amazing. That's what I like about London. So many interesting people, um, really interesting people, kind people. So it's almost like you really have to, like, find your people. Does the joy of finding them make it worth the stress of the negative experiences? It does. Yeah. It really does Good. because once I started finding my people, it was so amazing. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I can't even... I don't have the English to describe the feeling. It's like... It's almost like you're seeing like a mirror of you, but like reflected in other people, and not—I don't mean that in a vain way. You just feel understood, mm-hmm. and you feel seen. London is really nice when you have your people. And in the two years since you've been here, what would you say have been two events or days that have just stood out to you as like notable highlights? I think the day we met was really cool because I was not expecting that. Mm. I mean, we're not going to get into how we met. <laughs> However, if you understand, that was the last pers- last place Excuse me, that I was expecting to make a friend. And I think when, because I actually approached um, Chase, uh, he looked like a friendly face and also like really good looking as well. So I was like, oh, who's that? Thank um, you. If I'm being honest, in that moment, I think I was also doing it out of a sense of like, I don't like the word desperation. It sounds very, doesn't sound like very. Sounds good. a bit desperate. Not dis- yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah, it sounds <laughs> desperate. I was, it was more, it was so innocent and like so, like, okay, I was having like this internal conversation in my head. I'm like, okay, you're in this place, you don't know anyone here, um, you're feeling like you're by yourself. Okay, the solution is go and speak to someone, and that's literally what I did, and here we are now like it was actually like so i didn't actually think that like things like like that were possible so it's sort of like emboldened me to um be a lot more open willing to actually like go up to people and like open my mouth and you were like so nice and i'll never forget that like it was really amazing because i think in that moment it really came at a good time because i was starting to um doubt why i came here because i'm just like i've been i'd been in london since i think for like almost six months before that and I just was not, like, making friends or, like, building connections the way I thought I would. Like, nothing mm-hmm. was working. So I was just like, oh, my God, this is awful. Like, the sun isn't shining. I don't know anyone here. And it's just, this is, like, not really working. I was like, is it me? Or, you know? And I think it's really true when they say that um, if you want to make friends, go to places <laughs> where people <laughs> do what you enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and sorry that would be funny if you know where we met because it's so true because <laughs> i'm like oh well like you know um we are really good friends and we met somewhere where i don't think mutual interest really, yeah mutual interest it's definitely yeah. mutual interest so it's, it's funny you say that though because i um i feel like since we've become friends when we've been out in social situations i see you approach people and start conversations with people and i just i love it i just think it's so admirable and it's nice to see and i think yeah that's a quality in you that i really appreciate and 
I really have to answer that honestly. It's really a case of fake it till you make it. I yeah. was like, it worked yeah, once. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna do it again. Yeah. And like, I'm like, this is a new thing I'm trying now. Yeah. Like, I never used to be like that before. I was very much. I only speak if someone's like, if I feel like their body language is looking a little bit warm. But now I'm just yeah. like, even if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Like we try, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We move on. So definitely, I think you were like quite um, pivotal in that change. Like, literally, you were the. Of I will send you my invoice details and we can get that payment. I will happily settle that in, <laughs> invoice because it really changed a lot for me. I was, I mean, I'm still quite shy. Um, even really? Though I speak a lot. Yes. I'm, I don't see that. I'm very shy. Really? Yeah, I just have a good poker face. Okay. Yeah. Like, really I'm good. Very shy. Yeah. But I have a lot of opinions in my head and they're very spicy. So it comes across like I like to be very like confrontational, but I'm not really. Okay. Yeah. I didn't actually understand how deeply I was craving that kind of like connection with people. And I think it manifested, I'll never forget. I remember uh, after meeting you that day and then we kept in touch and I was like, oh wow, he's actually responding. Like people actually like you. I was like, oh, this is going well. And I think I got a little bit too excited and I had the best intentions, but I know it can start feeling a little bit creepy. And I, and I, when I got off the phone after that conversation, I'll remind you what the conversation was. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, I definitely like screwed that up. He's definitely not going to speak to me now. Like, he doesn't want to be. What, what was it? I remember it was. Um, I think it was either my birthday or your birthday. I can't remember. Mm. But I was like, let's go to. But I was just so like, you know, when you oh, jump the gun yeah, yeah, and you're like yeah. s- skipping like five um, stages, and I was just like, let's just do this. Let's go somewhere. I think that's when I thought about it. Like after you um, politely declined and was like, not now. I actually was like, you know what? I n- maybe needed to hear that because I also used to struggle a lot, or well, I still do, with like setting boundaries. And I was like, that's a healthy boundary. That's actually a green flag. This is not bad. Like, why are you wanting to like go somewhere with someone that you literally just met anyway? Like, I think I was just like so eager to seal the deal because I'd like to also believe that I have a good eye for things. I feel like when I recognize something that's great, I just want to like, you know, seal the deal. So, do you remember why I said no? Um, I think I was just focusing so much on like dealing with the rejection <laughs> that yeah. I don't remember exactly. I was what. broke. I was broke. I just had like no money, and I was just like had a lot on. Like it was nothing to do with like you or a boundary crossed or anything. Like okay, I thought I'm it was cool. Like now. it wasn't. It wasn't anything to do with you at all. Like I didn't feel like that was inappropriate, or I thought it was very like kind and exciting and. You don't meet someone very often and like have a connection with them, and then they're like, "Let's go on holiday." Like it's random and oh spontaneous, no, I'm and very spontaneous, that, and that's beautiful. Like, like I would say, yes, understand boundaries and 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 assess situations respectfully. But nah, I'm so sure I was like, nah, I'm just broke right now. Like I can't make it. It wasn't a boundary crossed for me. I wasn't like, mm, that's a bit weird. Like he's a weirdo. Like nah, not at all. That is. Do you know I've been feeling like this whole time? I was really? Like, I was like, oh, I, I was like this is so premature. I literally don't know you. Like, I was like, yeah, it actually makes sense. Like, you need to calm down. And then we went to Berlin. Yeah, and then we actually did we it later on. We went to Berlin. It was, yeah. it was great. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. You got any questions for me? Do I have any questions for you? For you? Um, what has your experience been? Because obviously, like, you are born and raised in London. So you've had, like, all of these like transitions throughout your life and like coming into yourself, mm. becoming an adult, all of those. How have you viewed 
like how has your view of London sort of like shaped you? Like what do you think? Like the same questions you asked me, do you think the answers have changed um throughout different phases of your life and um, so I was born and raised in London, in North London, Islington, to be sp- more specific. Um, North London's also the home of Adele, you know, one of the biggest stars. I, I, li- I like to say that because I feel like there's a lot of North London slander. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, South is the greatest. But it is the greatest. Like, okay, right. He's North been here for two years. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yes, yeah, so I was born and raised in London. And then I went to Grenada when I was 10 and came back when I was 17. Um, and I've been back since, apart from two years in Manchester. Um, and I, overall, I do love London. I love the, how big it is, how many different characters there are. I feel like when I want to feel like a small fish in a big pond, I can feel that in London. But when I want to feel like a big fish in a small pond, I can just stay in my area and where I know and bump into people that I know um but I I I can empathize with you with London feeling very lonely um when I came back at 17 it was not easy my my living situation wasn't stable um it was just yeah it was really really hard and really really lonely and I feel like I'm only now at 27 finding a level of stability and understanding uh, the importance of community and friendships and making time for friendships similar to what you said about people not having time to invest in in relationships and um because of feeling because of dealing with life and because of capitalism capitalism yeah exactly. i can talk a lot about that yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. um i'm now realizing how important it is to prioritize relationships to prioritize rest to prioritize connection those things just feel so good when I look back on last year and I think of all the things that felt really really good it was hanging out with my friends it was being at Black Pride it was being uh in in the in the venue in the party you know those things felt really really good the conversations um so I'm really learning how to prioritize those better but overall I do I do feel really grateful to live in London we just have access to so many different things, even this project that we're a part of, you know, when we went to the workshops the other day that Dale put on, I just remember going home just thinking like, oh, I'm so lucky to be a part of this and and have these these spaces and these networks, especially being coming from Grenada where, you know, being gay, being queer is just so undercover because, you know, it's legal out there. Um, I just feel so lucky and fortunate to be able to live my life openly and have my relationships be open and not have that fear of you know is anyone going to find out and all that kind of stuff um so yeah I think overall I just feel lucky and grateful I'm just learning how to maximize it whilst being in London while existing in London and prioritize love while being in London but I love London I feel grateful for London I'm learning to love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think learning. you have to. I think as well, Yeah. being in Grenada, I was out there for seven years and I hated all seven years of it. And I look back now and I just really wish that I had found moments of appreciation more. I think no matter where you are, I think you really have to make some effort to appreciate something about it while you're here. Yeah. Because realistically, I think from the conversations that we have, I don't think you're going to be here forever. I don't think I'm going to be here forever in London. Mm-hmm. So I think while we're here, we've got to make the most out of it. We've got to go to all the theatre shows. We've got to go to all the parties. Yeah. We've got to eat all the food. You know, That's really so experience true. it. Yeah, that Definitely. is true. I, yeah, I, 
couldn't agree more. Um, if I think about the fact of where I'm from, I'm from South Africa, as I said earlier on. Mm. If I'm being honest, I just feel like the social infrastructure isn't there. Mm. It's not there because I think legality is one issue and I'm not downplaying that at all because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, it's literally a case of, it's a matter of life and death. But I feel like socially, people are progressive, but are they? I don't feel like I experienced them to be as progressive. And I just feel like this whole process of like, identity and accepting your identity and like enjoying your identity it needs to be something where you feel like there's like a firm foundation being enabled to exist that was a big part and i'm glad you said that because as much as i said london is a lonely place in terms of like making you feel like you're not abnormal or nothing like something is wrong with you it doesn't do that london is one of those places where you can like enjoy so many parts of your identity without it being a big deal i've noticed like small changes like i used to always cut my hair now I, like i'm experimenting with different hairstyles mm. and like i don't think i remember your blonde era during the yeah, summer yeah, yeah, yeah. During, I had a, yeah. had a blonde summer moment yeah i would never have done that um back home yeah and not because like people don't do it i just feel like it's just, like I said, like the social infrastructure is just not there for me. I, maybe it is for other people, but like I just didn't experience it like that. So, yeah, like I'm happy to be here and I'm learning to enjoy it. Amazing. Yeah. We're happy to have you. Happy anniversary. I love you. Happy anniversary. Love you too. I like Tokyo talking about finding people who make you feel understood and seen. And Chase talking about prioritising connection and expressing love and pouring into each other. It's so cute. We have to find each other. Community building, particularly as black queer people, needs to be intentional. It doesn't happen by chance. We need to make the effort to form bonds like Tokyo and Chase. In many ways, we are denied conventional community because of our marginalised identities. I remember it was 2019, after my grandma passed, when I started to make more Jamaican friends and more Jamaican queer friends. So I was meeting more black queer men, and it led me to black Twitter, and we all know what black Twitter's like. And it led me to black queer Twitter, and we all know what that's like. Someone made a Twitter group for black queer men in London, and I thought, fuck it, I want to join that. Four years later, and that group chat is still going strong. It was through a snowball effect of joining that group that I made some of my closest friends. Shout out to Marcus and Shamar. Love you guys. This episode is a bit like me. A bit of trauma and a bit of joy. Hearing how bleak the world can be, like Rad's story, and also how much we can love and support each other. Well, it's all quite a lot. I'm dragging myself through therapy right now. I've been in and out since I was 17 and I restarted recently. This round is particularly challenging because I'm looking at parts of my experience that I never look at. It's been shaking recently. I'm packing heavy stuff, but I'm getting through it, and I know it's worth it in the long run. I'm doing quite well. I have a successful work life. I'm a proud black and queer man, and I have community.
And in finding my own orbit after losing my grandma, I'm reconnecting with my childhood dream of becoming an author. I'm writing poetry, but no, I will not be sharing it on the podcast, but it is on my Instagram at dale underscore tgo4. Again, my favorite number. Poetry is what I do to help with my mental health. When I was going through a difficult patch and off work for a while, my writing literally saved my life. It was how I processed what I was going through in my mind. It gave me something to wake up to every morning, and it was part of my spiritual well-being. I'm in a writing group now with some friends, and I'm working on a novel. I'm Del Taylor Gentles. Thank you for listening to my episode of Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. If you're aged 16 to 25 and experiencing homelessness of any kind, there's a charity called Centerpoint. They have a helpline where you can get confidential advice and support, and they provide homeless young people with accommodation, health support, and life skills in order to get them back into education, training, and employment. A link will be in the show notes. Queer Roots and Roots is produced for the Love Tank by Ontnell. Produced, edited, and engineered by Tash Walker and Adam Smith. Assistant producers, Saqib Afzal, Jose Carlos Mejia, Amar Deep Singh Dillon, Chase Edwards, Stanley Iyanu, and Rad Konichna. Music by Edoy. Creative design and artwork by Richard Kahoji. Recorded at Pirate Studios in Dalston and Hackney Week is London. Executive producers Mark Thompson and Day Taylor Gentles. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.